want to encourage you now to turn in your word, in the word of God, I should say, to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. What an encouragement to hear testimonies and to hear and see the lives of people who have the strong desire to walk with our Lord. Romans 15. We've been going through the book of Romans and we're coming down to the very end, the last two chapters of the book of Romans. And remember the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters is all foundational about who we are in Christ. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, it comes in all these practical exhortations. And we come to chapter 15 and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 13, continuing on the theme of how Paul concludes this section on handling differences those who have differences within the church. Romans 15, verse 1. He writes, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles who glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise Him. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow in a word of prayer to ask God's blessing upon this time. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be honored. As you have said, Father, the flowers will fade, the grass will wither, but the word of our God stands forever. We pray that your word would be made understandable by us, that we might follow you and love you all the more. Open our eyes, Father, that we might see great and mighty things from thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a Snoopy cartoon in Peanuts, which Lucy comes in, you see, in frame number one. Lucy comes in and Linus is laying there, sitting there watching TV. And she says to him and she threatens him with her fists to change the TV channel. And he says, 
In the next frame, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? She says to him, next frame, these five fingers, individually they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus is bewildered and he says, what channel would you want? Turning away, he looks at his own fingers and says, why can't you guys get together like that? Unity is important. It's important when we want to accomplish things, especially for the church, when the church wants to move forward. And that is the theme of this passage as Paul ends this whole section on differences in gray areas. As we've been talking about gray areas for the past two weeks, there have been themes that we have covered in the book of Romans. Here he comes to conclude this whole section about understanding differences and handling differences within the church and how we're to relate to each other who have differences. As many of you know, we've been going through the book of Romans for over a year now. And uh, in the book of Romans, we've looked at seeing how God's plan has manifested itself among the Jews as well as the Gentiles. Uh, if you're a Gentile, then you're not a Jew. You see, it's one or the other. Gentiles would include us if a Jew were looking at us. It includes both Jews and Gentiles. And I mentioned chapters 1 through 11 were really foundational. And then you come to chapter 12, which is the first command in the book itself, which tells us how we are to be living sacrifices and how we are to not think of ourselves more highly than others, but to think of ourselves in a sober way and to think of others as important. Why? Because they have gifts. Each and every person in the church of God has gifts that they bring to the table to serve God, and spiritual gifts that are given to them by God. And we are to therefore be accepting of one another, both Jews and of Gentiles, despite the differences. But we're to... Not simply to accept all things, but we are to commit to, commit to not causing others to stumble in the things that we're to do. We're to not risk losing our testimony before others. We're to build others up and not tear them down. We're to be true to our convictions. All of these things Paul has been talking about in this book because in the church there is great diversity. And in the Roman church, there was great diversity. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. There were some who came out of a very traditional background and others who came out of a very pagan background, a very non-Christian background. And so some came with traditions and others that didn't. And there was controversy within the church at Rome. And so here he speaks to those controversies, things that they did with a desire to honor God, but they felt very strongly about those things. And so Paul here in this chapter concludes with four principles that we remember, four principles that he wants to encourage the believers by. They were to seek the good of others and to be of one mind so that they could worship. They were to accept one another's differences and they were to remember that it is God who gives joy and peace and hope. And there's an outline in your bulletin with those points and as we go through them, Paul reminds these believers in the church at Rome that they were first of all to seek the good of others, to seek the good of others. Verses 1 and 2, for he says, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now you remember there were the strong and there were the weak that Paul was talking about. Some who were perhaps Jews came in and they came to Christ and they came to know who Jesus was. 
And they came with traditions. They believed that you couldn't do certain things on the Sabbath. They believed that you couldn't eat certain foods. In fact, some of them so far didn't believe that, well, how would we know if the meat was prepared rightly, we would just become vegetarians. And they held very strongly to that because they believed it pleased God. And Paul characterizes those individuals as the weak, those who had very strong uh, convictions that inhibited them from doing certain things. And Paul encourages others who were the strong, who had a conscience that wasn't bound by some of those things that the Word of God didn't explicitly or implicitly speak about. They perhaps were even Jews as well who came to a knowledge that, well, you know what, you could eat all things like Peter was taught and the sheet was lowered in his dream and God told him to eat. Or perhaps they were Gentiles, but the Gentiles, they too had their own convictions. Maybe they came out of a life of idolatry in which meat was offered to an idol. And they felt they couldn't eat that type of meat because it was sacrificed to an idol and they wanted to stay as far away from idolatry as they could. And so they were perhaps weak in a particular area, but they were strong in others. So Paul tells them here, look, you don't do things that might offend or cause your brother to stumble. Look to the good of others. Look to the good of others. Our attitude was when we have controversies is not to say, well, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I'm not going to let anyone else think of what others think control me or whatever it might be and to be bullheaded about things such that it runs over others, causes others to be hurt or stumble. But the godly attitude is to say what? Even though I may want to do something, I, out of my freedom, decide that in that context I am going to refrain perhaps from doing it. In fact, I might do something different to build up my brother, to ask myself, what is the unselfish thing that I can do? What is the most considerate thing I can do? Many people, you see, when they come to an area of controversy, whether whatever it might be, they will decide that, well, they're just going to do what they like and do what they feel is comfortable or enjoyable or convenient or is easy or whatever it might be. But even earlier, we have studied... That the strong are not to despise the weak, and the weak are not to have a resentful attitude towards the strong. We are to think in ways that say, what is the good that I can do for someone else? And he says in verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And in verse 4, it tells us about why. Paul writes verse 4 as sort of a parenthetical phrase that says whatever was written. In other words, he quotes an Old Testament passage and he reminds them. Remember, he says to the church at Rome, the Old Testament was written for our instruction too. Even though we live in New Testament times, the Old Testament is important. There are principles there for our instruction and our perseverance and encouragement that we might have hope. Point being that Christ came for the good of others. That was the theme of Mark when Mark wrote his gospel in Mark 14, 10.45. He says, for what? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. The King of the universe didn't come so that he could be served. But he came, what? It says in Mark 10.45, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We desire that others will succeed in their walk with Christ. You know, I attended a high school graduation last week. And I have the privilege of attending one this week as well. And every time you go to a graduation, 
You hear testimonies like this. One of the wonderful things that I often hear teachers or administrators or others remind us all about is that no one ever succeeds or accomplishes anything on their own. No one ever succeeds or accomplishes things on their own, whether it be a, a parent who has encouraged them, a friend who has been by their side, a co-worker or an employer or whoever it is. No one succeeds. Everyone needs encouragement and has a helping hand along the way. There are many who are teachers who spend time sacrificially teaching these students so that they might succeed so that they might be be people who will be able to have wisdom in the world and to be able to understand certain things and that they need to be educated about they're enablers to help people to grow and that is in a sense what we are to be as Christians as well to say how can I live my life when I come into a country to help them to grow so that they might move forward in their Christian life Because if we look to ourselves, you know what that makes us? It makes us not only selfish, but it makes us very unhappy. From an unknown source, there was an article titled, How to Be Miserable. It says this, quote, Think about yourself. Think about, talk about yourself. Use I as often as possible. Mirror yourself continually in the opinions of others. Listen greedily to what people say about you. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights. Never forgive a criticism. Trust nobody but yourself. Insist on consideration and respect. Demand agreement with your own views and everything. Sulk if people are not grateful to you for favors shown to them. Never forget a service you have rendered. Shirk your duties if you can. Do as little as possible for others." That's how to be miserable. And misery spreads to others around you and it affects the church. If everyone here had a selfish attitude, looking out for oneself, I'm here for me, I'm here for me, and when I get what I want, then I'm out. No, that's not how the church is supposed to be. In Romans chapter 12, we've gone through that. That we are to look at others and say, you know what, they have gifts as well. How can I use my gifts to be an encouragement to someone else? How can I use my gifts to help someone else along in life? Paul encourages that attitude of humility. In Philippians chapter 2, if you'll turn in your Bibles there, Paul reminds them of, again, the example of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, he writes from chapter 2, verse 2 about how they are to make his joy complete in this joyful letter of that he writes to the Philippian church. He says there, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind as Christ, he means. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, he doesn't say ignore the things that you're interested in. He doesn't say that. But look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. What can you do to help them move along in a godly way? Secondly, he says, be of one mind. Be of one mind so we can worship together. We are to be of one mind so we can worship together. Verse 5. 
Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, paradoxically, he asks in verse 4, they are to be what? People who have perseverance and encouragement by the Scriptures. And yet in verse 5, it is God who enables that in us. What God asks us to do, He enables us to do. And we are to be like-minded and so that we can worship together. So that there can be unity and harmony, which is a requirement so that we can worship and our focus will be on God. I don't know if you've ever sat around a dinner table before who... When your family, perhaps, has had a, had a fight or an argument, you knew that two, two of your kids aren't getting along, or maybe you've had to discipline one of your kids and they, they're not very happy with you, or maybe you know that your parents have had an argument or whatever it might be. You know, it doesn't matter how expensive the food is. For some reason, when there's not harmony around the table, the food tastes all the worse. And that's how it is. It's because we can't focus on what is, what is set before us. And if we are a church that is, that is a split or a fight or whatever church it might be, they can't focus on the Lord. And so Paul calls here for harmony and nothing sours worship and nothing distracts the mind from the Lord than sinfulness and division. I read about a church this past week, two congregations in this little small town. They were only a few blocks away from each other in this little small community and they had a wonderful idea. They said, why don't we join together? Why don't we join together? It's a small community. We both have small churches. And if we can only just join together, we'll be larger. We'll be more effective than two struggling churches. We'll be able to minister. I think that's a wonderful idea. But when they tried, they had a major dispute. They couldn't agree. They couldn't agree on how to say the Lord's Prayer. One group wanted to say, forgive us our trespasses. You remember that phrase in the Lord's Prayer? The other group demanded, no, 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 won't do. It says, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. And so they decided, man, and they fought over this thing. And they decided we just can't join together. They decided to split again. So they went on their ways and the local newspaper reported, quote, one church went back to its trespasses while the other returned to its debts. <laughs> the worship of the church is dependent upon the unity of the body and the appreciation of the gifts that people bring and the differences that are done for the glory of God. Those are to be set aside so that we can worship. Thirdly, we are to accept one another's differences, to accept one another's differences. Verse 7, therefore accept one another just as Christ has also accepted us to the glory of God. Paul calls us to accept one another. And in this context, again, the reference was to those who are weak. They had convictions about this day or this food or whatever it might be. They were trying to do it for the glory of God. Others had different, uh, uh, different uh, things that they felt strongly about. And they were to accept one another. Why? Because Christ has accepted them including the Gentiles. And he goes on in this passage with four Old Testament texts that speak of how the Gentiles will someday be brought into the church and how there's not to be this discriminatory thing between the Jews and the Gentiles. For the Gentiles were going to be included, how they would praise God. And that's the purpose of those four passages there. Later on, when he quotes them, we're not to divide, but to be unified. 
And some will divide over things that are minor and unclear. Pastor R. Kent Hughes, who wrote a wonderful book called Disciplines of a Godly Man, writes about how he was ministering once and how he had a young man come to him who was extremely disturbed. He was extremely bothered. Why? Because he, as a pastor, was wearing a suit that contained two different types of, of fabric. Said it had contained cotton and polyester. You know, there are people who believe that, actually. Cotton and polyester, wouldn't you? Whatever, two different types of fiber. For Leviticus 19.19 says, Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. And he had a little of a, a following, you know, all cotton clothes or whatever it might be. And they were, they, they had their, they were ma- making sure that their hair was cut and their woman, the women had their ankles covered, etc. And you'll find that there are individuals who have different convictions about those types of things. Donald, you know, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was a commentator and a pastor back in the early 1900s, recall, recalls it at a meeting that he had. There were two women who came up at this large meeting. There was a couple hundred people there. The women wanted him to rebuke the others because there, there were some, some girls there who weren't wearing stockings. Who weren't wearing stockings. And he, and he looked at them. He said, quote, The Virgin Mary never wore stockings. They gasped and said, She didn't? I answered, he said, In Mary's time, stockings were unknown. So far as we know, they were first worn by prostitutes in Italy in the 15th century. When the Renaissance began, later a lady, ladies of nobility wore stockings at the court ball, greatly to the scandal of many people. Before long, however, everyone... And the upper classes were wearing stockings, unquote. Now certainly there are principles that the scriptures give about our dress, such as modesty, or to be concerned about the heart, attitude, or not being a distraction through extravagance and the things that we put on, but dressing to honor the Lord and all that we do. But there's the excessiveness of some who would say, well, you have to wear stockings or wear whatever it might be. I'm not sure what, what some of those are. But even then, we respect their convictions and yet we're to be unified and to put those things aside and not make them an issue. Whatever the differences are, we do for them as we would do for the Lord that they might be built up. And lastly, Paul closes with a benediction in verse 13 with a benediction that reminds us that God is the one who gives joy and peace and hope. For he says, now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's convinced that they are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, not able to admonish one another. This is the prayer that Paul prays for them, that they might have an understanding that it is God who grants these good things to them, that they might be unified and worship together, that they might admonish one another, which means to encourage in a biblical way. For it is God who grants to us that joy and peace when our focus of faith lies upon Him and not upon the things that divide, that are non-biblical or non-moral, that aren't explicit or implicit in the Scriptures. You see, no one is proposing at all that we set aside what is true or we set aside not fighting for righteousness or we tolerate sin or things that are unbiblical, or to put in, put up with immoral, or unbiblical ideas even. But Paul's encouragement to the church for the past couple of weeks as we've been looking, that there are things that are perhaps neutral, good, 
morally acceptable, not unbiblical, that Christians may have differences about. And when they do it for the Lord, because each of these cases, they were doing it for God, they were trying to restrict themselves or something, because they wanted to do it for the Lord. And even those who partake of, partook of certain foods and celebrated certain days and worshipped God on any day, perhaps, they did it for God as well. And when people do it as their motivation for God, then it is honoring to the Lord. And we are to accept them. Not to please ourselves, but to think of what is best because we run this race together. In 1976, out in Spokane, they held the Special Olympics right over there across the mountains. And in the Special Olympics, they take it very seriously. These people who are disabled or not able to, to, uh, uh, to compete in a regular event with others and so they they take it very seriously and they train hard for the special olympics and they they lined up uh, i believe it was a hundred yard dash they had read about there were these there were these athletes that lined up for the hundred yard dash having gone through months of training for this track and field event and the guns sounded and they all began to run one of the little boys fell he fell and tripped headlong and he was crying. One or two of the others who were running, they too, they heard him crying and they stopped. They walked back to this little boy. They helped him up and the three of them walked across the finish line together to the accolades of the crowd. The Special Olympics oath is this, quote, Let me win, but if I cannot win... Let me be brave in the attempt, unquote. For the Christian, it's let me win, but if I cannot win, let me be faithful in my attempt. And faithfulness is winning. We're all in the race to win. Not for ourselves to be number one and leave everyone else behind, but we're all to be encouraged to run and encourage those who run alongside of us. Because as Paul has said, we are all people who have different gifts and everyone is running perhaps at a different speed. And we who are strong are to build up those who are weak. And we who are weak perhaps are strong in other areas and we're to build up others as well. But not to be divided in any way over things that are unbiblical. We are to what? Be unified so that we can celebrate and worship God together as a church family ought to. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your goodness and we give you thanks, Father, for this church. For it is you who has brought us together. And we pray, O God, that we might be faithful to the calling which we have received. Father, to be gracious to others who differ from us. And Father, that we might extend to them a helping hand, that they might grow and be more like your Son. In Jesus' precious name, amen.